he's a rehab doctor from Chicago. She's an emergency medicine doctor from the Twin Cities. Together, we're examining the health equity emergency. Inviting voices for change without the cue cards. I'm Dr. Carrie Haley. I'm Dr. Steven Jackson. And And this this is is Off Off the Charts. Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a fabulous guest with us today. We have Dr. Priya Suri, who is an emergency medicine physician at Health Partners and is also an assistant professor of emergency medicine at the University of Minnesota, where she's starting a course in urban community health. Welcome, Dr. Suri. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and to see you in a different context other than the ER. That's really fun. (laughs) I guess just starting things off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of your journey towards medicine, and maybe a little bit into what makes health equity be really important to you? Yeah, so a little bit about my journey to medicine. Um, Medicine was always in the back of my mind. I was a suburban Indian American kid, so whose mind was that not in? Um, I really resisted the idea initially. And in college, I was studying Spanish and anthropology, which I loved. And for my introductory anthropology class, I did a project that involved interviewing a lot of Spanish-speaking folks around St. Louis. And I got to learning a lot about their life experiences. And as we talked more and more, People were saying what they needed. People were saying what sort of services they wanted better access to. And a theme that came up again and again was that they wanted and needed better access to health care. Particularly, people said they needed folks who could really listen to them and understand, but also really needed people who could help do something about the conditions they were facing. Around the same time, I was taking several Latin American studies courses, and I became really fascinated by this idea of political figures who were physicians. So some examples are Salvador Allende, Che Guevara. I'm not really commenting on their politics, but people who saw medicine as a manifestation of society. And the more I learned, the more I really started to agree with that. And just to fast forward to my practice, I've really seen that be the case as well. What we see in the ER really reflects on what's going on in society and in the Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. I also went on to have amazing professors at WashU where I was going to undergrad who combined anthropology and medicine and really were working in both worlds and made explicit the links between them. And then I went to medical school and I got through that because of some (laughs) amazing friends. (laughs) Getting through that, that is the the truth. (laughs) Getting through that. So my friends and I in medical school had fun together, but I had such a sense of belonging in medical school because I had friends who were there for similar reasons to why I was there. And our paths kind of took us in similar directions as well. So my friend Yael has, is now a pediatrician in D.C. and she runs a clinic aimed to help teen moms and their babies all be healthy. And then my other friend, Lan, directs the Community University Health Clinic and just such a mission-driven organization that provides, helps people find food and shelter. And and then my friend, Monica, was really active in the single-payer health advocacy scene. So after medical school, which I got through, I went to Oxford and did a PhD for a while. And that was a really interesting opportunity to think about human health and suffering from a different perspective 
And then I made my way to emergency medicine. And I really love emergency medicine because of how diverse it is in terms of patients and medical issues and providers you talk to throughout each day. And no day is boring. And I love that about it. Well, I'm feeling kind of outnumbered, you know, uh, <laughs> a rehab doctor and two emergency doctors. I think I'm just going to leave and maybe come back when you guys are finished. Maybe Aww. not. <laughs> <laughs> we need all the specialties. <laughs> all right. All right. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. No. Well, first of all, thank you for what you do. There undoubtedly are challenges in incorporating health equity, you know, into practice, into education. I mean, for many reasons, you know, whether it's, you know, some don't feel like it's a priority to maybe not having the infrastructure or the resources or the finances. Just curious, what, if any, have been some challenges that you know you have faced in some of the things that you do in health equity? Yeah, I think since George Floyd was murdered, there's been a real uptick in interest and passion for, quote unquote, solving the health disparities that our system faces. And right now we're in this time where there's both an urgency about addressing health inequities and also a sense of we've been talking about this for a long time mm -hmm. and what are the outcomes. Yep. And we see that there's been unfortunately a big attrition in workers who have health equity focused roles because there can be a gap between the desire to create immediate change and the resources and infrastructure and attention in concerted systemic ways that we're able to provide to these issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's and that's ongoing. You know, people say put your money where your mouth is, you know, uh, and obviously George Floyd being murdered, although there were other, you know, murder murders and uh tragedies before him, but that really galvanized the world. I mean, had protests across the pond as as it were it seems like people were ready to have the conversation. And I think, you know, people continue to be committed to the idea of health equity and DEI initiatives not being this extra thing, but kind of embedded in what we do societally. Interestingly enough, it seems like in some in some cases, and I might be bringing up other issues, in some cases, you know, people put out statements, you know, like I stand with or I might change my colors for a month or something, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of check the proverbial box. Uh, but I sometimes I ask myself, you know, you know, what's the substantive thing that you've done to really contribute to the cause? Because it's it's widespread and uh, and there's also resistance as well. So, you know, more of a comment and less than a question, but just really highlighting, you know, there's a lot of work to do in the health equity space, you know, so. Yeah, and I think kind of th going back to that, like putting your money where your mouth is or kind of being going beyond checking the box. I mean, I think one thing that you're involved in, right, is at the University of Minnesota, kind of creating a little bit more of a dialogue within the curriculum of medical school, talking about health inequities, especially in urban settings, which I think, you know, thinking back to my medical school days, like, I went to medical school in the middle of a bustling city. Like we did not have <laughs> anything on diversity or equitable care. Like I don't think that mm. ever came up in conversation during four years of medical school. Wow. Which is crazy, but like maybe turning, trying to make that turn into making it be an important embedded thing within the culture of medicine is starting doing things like this, doing a course. So 
Do you mind telling us a little bit more about the course that you're starting at the University of Minnesota? Yes, I would love to talk about that. So for similar reasons to what you just said, we're creating and we've created the course that I so desperately wanted as a medical student and what I felt like was missing at the time. I kind of talked about the reasons I went into medicine and then you get to school and you're learning about a whole different set of stuff that's coming at you very quickly. So the way that this course is structured, all of the medical students will elect into one of five pathways. And it's a required course that's two hours a week and five weeks throughout the course of two years. And so the different pathways are urban and community health, rural health, immigrant and refugee health, 2S LGBTQIA, and indigenous health. Students select this year which one they want to go into. And we've gotten a lot of feedback from students already through a needs assessment that these are, of course, really overlapping intersectional things, and we need to be aware of that. So we're taking that into account as as well. But some of the principles of this course are we really want to meaningfully center community and voices of the people who are serving and their needs. That's something we talk a lot about. I can speak for myself. My tendency is to zoom out from there and go academic. I'm working with Rachel Witt, who's a neonatologist, whose research deals with the uh, experiences of Black mothers in the NICU. And she has just been such a fervent advocate for how do we really center community voices here? Because we talk a lot about Mm -hmm. what reading could we bring in and what can we do to help students understand. And she's been very clear about we can bring people to the table who are experiencing the things we're talking about. Now, there are some structural issues with that. When we ask people to give their time, we need to be able to compensate them. And so Mm -hmm. that's something that we're, we have some infrastructure, but we're really working on. And we're also working on how do you build really meaningful, respectful relationships over time. And in such an urgency culture, sometimes that we want the answer yesterday, and that's not how respectful relationships often work. That's right. That's right. I can only imagine how prepared I would have been personally as a physician if I had been exposed to curriculum or even just having a sit down, you know, with a mom, you know, from the community uh, to hear her story and to get her perspective. You know, imagine how how much more, you know, dare I say palatable would a DEI conversation be uh, to today's physicians uh, as opposed to in some cases, it, it seems like, well, we're talking about this again, or there aren't any national tragedies, so why are we talking about this stuff at work, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, I mean, that's amazing, you know, a, a curriculum, a built-in curriculum, uh, planting a seed for a, you know, future clinician, so. And I think that's a great tie-in, too, because like you said, I feel like a lot of people who go into medicine, they are more academic and they go by the stats and they mm-hmm. go by yep. the the actual numbers and they want mm-hmm. like that that proof when a lot of it, there is that, but like the bigger component to that is the human experience. That's right. And so having this course and having a dialogue with someone living that experience, I can only imagine as a medical student who's, (laughs) you know, still impressionable, like how big of a difference that may make and how you end up practicing in the future if you get to experience that when you're like, just, you know, baby, baby student doctor and learning, just learning and being wide eyed um, versus just being when 
you know, when I feel like I was just like, it was just hit with all the science, the science, the science, the science, and you don't even have time to think about the human experience. Yeah, definitely. I, I think yeah. the timing of this course is perfect, both with what's going on in the world and also where students are in their knowledge. They're so far ahead of where I could probably speak for yeah. any of the three of us, where yep. we yes, were for when sure. we were learning. And another thing, thing I'm so excited about this curriculum is, again, we wanted the answer yesterday. We don't have it. We're still working hard. But what's so intellectually interesting and critical about this is health equity is such a complex, vast, it's a wicked problem, health inequity. Mm -hmm. yep. And what that requires is true, genuine, interdisciplinary thinking. So none of us is going to solve this problem by ourselves. You can't say, I'm going to go out and do a little bit of research and fix health equity. And when we have this time carved out in a curriculum, we're able to partner with all these experts who have dedicated their entire careers to understanding different facets of housing and food justice and um, the history of racism in the Twin Cities and how that impacts people's diseases. And we can partner with the Center for Art of Medicine and understand how students can reflect on their experiences of themselves and within this context. And it just gives a lot of space to respectfully address all the different angles that comprise this problem instead of going through all of the training and then look, looking back and saying, well, now I need to fix something that I didn't even begin to understand. <laughs> For those that don't know what a wicked problem is, that's basically, I'm gonna try to define it and, and correct me if I'm wrong. That's when you have a problem and the solution to the problem causes another problem. Is that kind of what a wicked problem is in a nutshell? Maybe. I don't exactly know. <laughs> I think it's so embedded and so complex that you can't, yeah, you can't affect one piece of the puzzle without affecting the affecting other pieces. Affecting another piece, yeah. But I like what you said about how now we're ready to fix something that we didn't really understand to begin with. And so now we're retrospectively trying to go back and fix and something uh, like a embedded curriculum would give that understanding. You know, uh, something you said, uh, Dr. Haley, that was really, I think, impactful was how we're so science and data driven. And to some degree, we should be, you know, because we want to make sure that the treatment plan and and the different workups and investigations that we do are, are you know, they're clinically and medically appropriate, of course. So mm -hmm. you want it. You don't want to have some measurables and, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, but I, I think that sometimes we, at the expense of hearing the patient's story, you know, we get almost too data driven. I'll take, you know, like patient experience, for example, uh, whether here or anywhere else, you know, we look at numbers and we can say, hey, those numbers need to be better. How can we fix the numbers? But then behind every number is a story. And so how can we address the story? then the numbers themselves will actually change. And I think it's not so so you know much different than what we're talking about here. And that, you know, again, bringing in, you know, a community member, uh, somebody with a voice or, or giving voice to somebody that didn't have a voice, I mean, that's going to hit you differently than saying, you know, a percentage of, you know, infant mortality in African American moms. I mean, that'll that'll still hit you, but to hear somebody share that experience. Uh, that they weren't listened to, or they didn't really trust healthcare to begin with. That's gonna that's gonna affect you differently, and maybe uh, maybe drive you to change, you know, and do something different. So 
Yeah. Absolutely. And I think what you said is I completely agree with the stories hit differently and also mm -hmm. the stats and the operations and the science. Who does that leave out? <laughs> so excellent point. Um, I'm telling the story as sort of a a positive thing. It's it's a tough thing we're going through, but my mom's actually in the operating room right now as we're recording here mm. at Regions for breast cancer. Mm. Um, she's having a lumpectomy with Dr. Fox and we have had the most streamlined, wonderful, timely, sensitive care. And my mom speaks English. She has a car and was able to get to her routine mammogram, was completely asymptomatic. So they found this mass that we wouldn't have known she had. And then she's able to engage because of herself and her family and our medical expertise with the system in a way that is so efficient and so... Um, wonderful. And that experience also gets back to my passion for health equity because what my mom is experiencing right now is so different from what so many people experience. And mm -hmm. there are so many cracks where any of those levels you can get lost. So yeah. how do we create systems that are that wonderful and that helpful to all different patients, regardless of their background and their abilities? That's the huge question. And like you said, you know, it's going to be a multi-faceted, interdisciplinary type of solution that is needing to have incremental steps rather than just like a snappy solution. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the one thing that I'm thinking about is like, I love this course. I wish I had had this course, mm -hmm. but yep. like thinking about us practicing physicians, those of us who are like in our early to mid career who didn't have this, but still have a long way to go in our medicine career. Like, what can we do? What can we learn? How can we learn? How can we get better and get those skills that maybe these newer generation might have coming in out of medical school that we're we're playing catch up on? Yeah, that's a that's a great and tough question. And I think we can go about it a number of different ways. For me, I'm really interrogating who did I learn from, what perspective were they coming from, and what did my education leave out? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I went to elementary, middle, and high school in suburban Minnesota. Most of my educators were white. I went to WashU, where all of my educators had a PhD. Most of them were white. I went to the University of Minnesota Medical School where I do not remember, you know, I had a few professors of color, but not many. And then I went to the University of Oxford, which is my program. Even when I was learning about Hinduism and Buddhism, they were filtered through um, the Western white male lens. So that's a perspective that's really overrepresented in my psychology and my um, epistemology, the way I see the world. And it'll probably take the rest of my life to balance that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not studying as hard as I was in those days, so maybe it'll never be balanced. And I also think a lot about how many of the problems that we're dealing with in Western med medicine are created by the thought processes and ideologies that we learned from, like the separation of the mind and body and the dealing with bodies as discrete parts that are malfunctioning. And I think about the loneliness in our culture that, you know, our Surgeon General has 
called an emergency. So what are other epistemologies, worldviews, perspectives able to teach us that we are not very good at or practiced at engaging with in our standard Western education? Yeah, I I, I think about uh, and and go with me for a second, <laughs> but <laughs> but I think about the Matrix. Uh, have you seen the Matrix? Okay, yes. good. You've seen the Matrix. Okay. Oh yeah. Uh, and it's almost like you're you're in this society or you're in this space where certain things are just deemed normal, so normal that they become mundane, so mundane that you don't begin to question them anymore. And I think that's kind of what you're speaking of. Like, you know, we're you know, we're bathed <laughs> with certain lenses that, you know, and I've talked about it on previous episodes where, you know, in a lot of spaces, I'm a black doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm a black doctor. You know, that's mm-hmm. because, you know, black doctors are rare. You know, 2% of black men make up the, you know, physician population in our in our country. And so when you see me, well, I'm not just a physician. I'm a black physician. But that's a lens, you know, and I agree with you. It might it might take the rest of my life, if ever, you know, because I myself have have lenses as well. But I think something that you brought up, I, I think attacking the mindset and attacking it, not just not just discussing it, but really calling it out, uh, calling out our biases, calling out, you know, the connection between, you know, how we see the world and how it can negatively affect relationships, especially the relationships that we talk about in this on this podcast, which is us and and our patients and the communities that we serve. And we have to be brave. You know, we have to stand up against, you know, some questionable ideologies. And they might be rooted in, like you said, uh, Dr. Siri, how how one was raised, how they saw the world, who taught them along the way. There's a lot of undoing, a lot of unpacking. But and whether they intend it or not, the impact is, you know, is great. And so uh, a lot of work to do. But um, I mean, what you're doing is, you know, a big, I mean, it's a big piece, you know, of, uh, of the solution. Yeah, I, I think that, again, like what you just creating this course in general and just the passion that you bring to it, you being in our physician group, I think only is additive for us as a group as well to be mm-hmm. able to help us get to a different mindset, a different frame of reference potentially, and that hopefully with new courses and new mindsets coming into medicine as the years go by and people who've taken these types of courses, like we can start to move the pendulum a little bit potentially. Um, yeah, so and it's I, hopeful. It's hopeful. Thank you so much. And I think you you bring up a really good point about seeing if we're moving the pendulum and that's another area we really need to focus on. So many curricula have popped up and we're doing a systematic review on anti-racist curricula in medical education. And there's over, I think, close to 3,000 articles of different wow. programs coming up. But we really need to start also seeing, are these, is this time and is this effort substantively shifting the way people think about their medical career? Is it negatively affecting the student experiences in some kind of way that we're not thinking of? Is it having benefit to patient outcomes in some kind of way. So we're having we're in a phase of a lot of generativity, a lot of trying to do things. And I think that's important. And we also need to be very mindful of, you know, the wicked problem impacts. We're affect moving the needle on something. Are we 
Mm-hmm. What what are we creating as an effect of that and yeah. make sure it aligns with what we we want to be doing? I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast, coming in, sharing a little bit about yourself and then just, again, all of the work that you're doing with incoming medical students. And I, I'm really excited to see what the future of medicine holds in this space. Thank you so much. Thanks for doing this podcast. It's yeah. been really fun to hear. Like Dr. Haley said earlier, you, you're giving us hope and uh, glad to know that, you know, this this new generation of docs coming into the world, you know, they're going to they're going to be a little further along than I know I was. <laughs> Hopefully they'll teach us something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks. Off the Charts is a production of Health Partners and Park Nicollet. It is recorded by Jimmy Bellamy with creative by Peggy Arnson, Tina Long, Tim Myers, and Jeff Jondahl. Production services provided by Matriarch Digital Media. Our theme music is by Ryan Ike.